Good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, can I get you to turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, to chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 3, 16, to chapter 4, verse 1. And let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll speak to us by your Spirit through your Word as we consider it this morning. And please make us the people that you want us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been looking at the book of Colossians in our online services, God has been showing us his pattern or his blueprint for the Christian life. We saw it summarized in chapter 2 verse 6. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Right? And we saw there were two steps, two parts to living the Christian life. First, there is receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. He is the one by whom and through whom and for whom everything exists. Uh, he is the one who died to pay the penalty of our sin. The IOU, the record of our debt, was, was nailed to the cross and he bore the punishment there for us. And by doing so, he defeated all the forces of evil. Uh, he is the one who has risen from the dead as the king, the Lord, the master of all. He is the head of the church, his body. And so we are to receive him as our supreme master. We are to trust him and him alone for our salvation. We do not need to supplement him with any other. He is supreme. He is sufficient. We are to receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. And then having received Christ Jesus, the Lord, we are then to walk in him. We are to walk in him. We are not to add new things to him, new philosophies, new ideas, new ways of relating to God. That's not progress. We are, in the words of chapter 2, verse 7, to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as we were taught abounding in thanksgiving. We never move on from Christ and his gospel, but we are to grow in him. We are to be changed step by step into his image and character. And what motivates us for that change is still Christ. Because God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Our God has spiritually raised us to heaven with Christ. Uh, and when Christ returns at the end of the age, we will appear with him in glory. God has chosen us and loved us and forgiven us in Christ. All those things in Christ. And we are thankful. In fact, we abound in thanksgiving. And that should change the way we live. In the last two sermons on Colossians, we've seen what that change looks like. First of all, we looked at things we need to take off. We need to get rid of all forms of sexual immorality. We need to put off all patterns of speech and relationship that are incompatible with the new position. Things like slander and malice and lies and obscene talk. And then last week, Dinesh helped us to see the things we need to put on instead. Compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, patience, forgiveness and peace and love. If we are believers, we are God's holy people, chosen by him, loved by him. And so we need to deliberately and consciously relate to each other in ways that are consistent with that, as we seek to live our lives in thanksgiving to God. And these Christ-like characteristics are to permeate all areas of our life. That's the same for all of us. But there are specific ways in which they are meant to be worked out at, at church, at home, and in the workplace. And in our passage today, we will look at each of these in turn. Firstly, 
the church, the gathering of God's people, is an appropriate place to express thanksgiving to God, isn't it? Uh, in verse 15 of Colossians 3, uh, Paul has already indicated that we were called into one body. Uh, but here in verse 16, he helps us to see how we express thankfulness when we meet as a body. He starts by saying, Let the word of Christ, the gospel, dwell in you or among you richly. In other words, be full of the gospel. Right? Be all about the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, that we can be saved by trusting in him. Be gospel-centered. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, Paul says, as you teach one another in all wisdom. So, so we're to keep helping each other to understand the gospel and work out its implications for those complex issues in our lives. We're to teach one another in all wisdom. And we're to admonish one another. We're to exhort each other. We are to warn each other. We're to urge each other to do all these things that this first half of the chapter says in terms of getting rid of the old life and, and getting on with the new. Now, there are many ways we can teach and admonish one another with the gospel. But the way the Spirit, through Paul, speaks about here in verse 16 is with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, people debate whether these three refer only to the Psalms in the Old Testament or whether Paul's talking more broadly. But either way, the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we sing are meant to be full of the gospel. They are meant to be the means by which we teach and rebuke each other. And that means the words that we sing are very important. They are a vital part of the teaching ministry of the church. People forget the sermon and remember the songs. That is why in our church, it is the pastoral team that's responsible for choosing the lyrics of the songs and the hymns that we sing. But it's not just what we sing that's important. God is concerned about how we sing. Verse 16 tells us that we are to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And so our singing is not just an external mouthing of words. It is meant to reflect a genuine, heartfelt gratitude to God for what he has done for us in Jesus. And our singing, therefore, is three-dimensional. Right? As we sing gospel-centered psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we are speaking God's word to each other, teaching and admonishing each other. As we hear those gospel words, God is speaking to us, his gospel. And as we sing and we hear we in turn are giving thanks to him from the heart for what we have done. Now, how can we do this in an online service? Well, we get all the benefits of hearing the singing, but not all of us get the privilege of doing the singing to each other like we would normally. So, well, that's one limitation, isn't it, of an online service like this? Though, of course, if you're in a household that comes together for the online service, then, then you sing lah, to each other. And if you're alone, you can still sing to God, even though you miss out on singing to others. Even when we first go back to physical meeting, we may have to modify how we do this because singing out loud really spreads the virus. But rest assured, we will get back to the time when once again we're able to sing our hearts out together freely with thankfulness to God. Let's make sure the word of Christ dwells among us richly when we do.
But it's not just in singing that we express our thanks. It's in everything we do together. And verse 7 says, verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whether we're singing or praying or saying the creed, whether we're listening to the sermon or confessing our sins, whether we're talking to others or, or, or praying aloud, we do it all in the name of Jesus and we do it with thanksgiving. But I don't think this just applies when we are in church because the whole of life is an act of thanksgiving to God. Whatever we do, we do for Him. And we present our actions as we present our prayers to Him in the name of Jesus and we do it as a thank you to God. And that includes what we do at home. And so the Holy Spirit through Paul shows us what this means for various people in our households. Wives, in verse 18, are told to submit to their husbands. Now, we mustn't misunderstand this. And to submit to someone's leadership doesn't mean we're any less than the person we submit to. Jesus submitted to Mary and Joseph as his parents. Doesn't mean he was less than they. And we know from other parts of the Bible that women and men are equal. But that wives and husbands have different roles. And within a marriage, a husband is meant to be a loving leader who cares for his wife, and a wife is meant to gladly submit to that kind of leadership. Now, a husband is never told to force his wife to submit to him. That's not his role. It's the role of the wife to submit, not because he makes her, but because, in verse 18, it is fitting in the Lord. We see from elsewhere in the Bible that marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ and his church, where the husband loves the wife sacrificially and the wife submits to that loving leadership. And, but it takes two hands to clap. It takes both husband and wife to paint the picture. And it doesn't work unless both parties are involved. And so husbands, verse 19, you are to love your wife. You are to give yourself for her sacrificially. You are to be as considerate of her and her needs and her feelings and her desires as much as you are of your own. You are to be fully committed to her godliness, to her growth as a Christian, to her walking in Christ. Love your wife, Paul says. And in verse 19, he says to husbands, do not be harsh with your wife. Or literally, don't make her bitter. Husbands could make their wives bitter in the way we speak to our wives, couldn't they? Belittling them, putting them down, speaking angrily at them, mistreating them verbally. Don't do that. That's not loving your wife. Even worse, some husbands are physically violent towards their wives. In fact, domestic violence is rife in our society and has become worse in this lockdown period. It cannot and must not be tolerated among God's people. It is completely incompatible with the love that husbands are to show their wives. It is completely incompatible with living lives of thanksgiving to God. Wives are told to submit to the loving leadership of Christ-like husbands. They're not told to condone harshness and violence. So how do we live lives of thankfulness at home? Husbands loving their wives and wives submitting to the loving, sacrificial leadership of their husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. And both partners, remember last week, show kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you. Paul then goes on to talk about children and parents. He says, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Notice Paul's writing to children just like he writes to other members of God's household. Wives, husbands, fathers, slaves, masters. The Bible is written for children just as much as written for adults. If you're a child, listen up. The Bible's speaking to you. God wants you to obey your parents. And you want to please God, don't you? Of course you do. You want to please God because of all that he's done for you in Jesus. He's loved you, he's given his son for you, he's made you his own. Obey your parents. And then the Spirit through Paul speaks to fathers. And not just because it's Father's Day. He says in verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children. In other words, don't do things that will make them resentful. Things like being unfair, unreasonable, being harsh, placing unrealistic expectations on them, humiliating them, punishing them excessively, comparing them unhelpfully with other siblings, condemning them, constantly nagging them, neglecting them. Don't do that. Why? Verse 21, lest they be discouraged. We don't want them to be disheartened. We don't want them to give up. And we especially don't want them to pull back from following Jesus. Instead, we want them to grow in knowing and loving the Lord. Because our goal for our children is not that they become big income generators for our old age, but, but that they persevere in following Jesus all the days of their lives. That's the big goal for them. And that they make Christ known in their generation and in the next. That's what we to work towards. Now, it doesn't mean that if we're good parents, it's guaranteed our children will be godly. But the way we act towards our children should encourage them, not discourage them, from following Christ as we do. You see, what we do at home, how we relate to our husbands, our wives, our parents, our children, are all meant to be a way of saying thank you to God. We are to do it from the heart. We are to do it in the name of Jesus. But we don't just live for Jesus at home. We are to work for Jesus as well. Now that might be easier to remember when you're doing church work, isn't it? Right? The hours you spend doing ministry in your growth group, or life explored, or feeding the needy, or, or doing one-to-one -one with others, you know you're serving the Lord. But God has something to say about your normal work as well. Now, Paul speaks about slaves in verse 22, and he says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, when you read of slaves or bond servants there, you mustn't think of 19th century America. It was an entirely different system than in the first century. Uh, the word here refers to people who are under contract for seven years. And while that system doesn't exist today, we can apply the principles here to employees, no matter what your contract is like. If you're an employee, 
You're not there just to pretend to work. You're there to actually work sincerely for the Lord. So don't just work when the boss is around and then spend the rest of the time as to work time on, on Facebook or chatting with your friends on the phone. Whether you're working at the office or you're working from home, work properly. Whatever you do, verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord, not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, slaves in the ancient world would remember the masters they served wasn't really the masters they served. They're actually serving Christ Jesus, the Lord, Christ Jesus, the master. So should you. You don't actually just work for your company or your CEO or your shareholders. You work for Jesus. He's the real boss. And he'll reward you. Of course, you're not a slave. You're not forced to stay in your present job for seven years. Uh, if you have to work ridiculous hours and you're called upon to do things that are not right or your work environment is unhelpful for you as a Christian, you are free to look for a new job. And if in the current environment you're able to find a better one, you can still serve Jesus there. Your actual master, though, is still Jesus. That's not changed. And moving might free you to serve him better at home and at church. But as long as you continue in your job, be honest and hardworking. Work heartily, because you're not serving the boss, you're serving Jesus. And he'll reward you for the godly way that you work, even if your earthly master doesn't appreciate you. And if your earthly master is unfair to you, don't ever think you have no one to turn to. There is a higher authority who will hold them to account. God is just and he will judge justly. And so the Spirit reminds us in verse 25 that the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. On the other hand, if you're an employer or you have people working under you in your company or organization, well, that what Paul says to masters applies to you. And it also applies to you if you have a maid or a gardener or anyone else who works for you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, sir, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Friends, justice and fairness matter to God. God is just and expects his people to be just as well. So whenever we are in positions of power, we need to be extra careful to display justice and fairness. Don't victimize your employees. Don't mistreat them. Don't be unfair in your expectations of them. Don't use the MCO as an excuse not to pay them properly when actually you can afford to do so. Don't use them to release your own pent-up anger and frustration because they can't answer you back. Treat them properly because you have a master in heaven who has treated you really well. 
and you are accountable to Him for how you treat them. So, whether you're an employee or an employer, Jesus is your master. If you cheat your boss or you mistreat your employee, you have to answer to Him. Serve Christ in the way you treat the other party. At the end, Christ will judge your actions and give you your reward. Brothers and sisters, having received Christ the Lord, let's walk in Him. Let's be changed step by step to conform to His character. Let's show our thankfulness to Him by taking off the old sinful ways of relating and putting on the new godly ones. And the way that we do that will be different depending on our roles at church, at home, at work. But whatever we do, in word or deed, let us do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Jesus. Thank you that he is our Lord who has loved us and died for us to make us his own. Thank you that he's been raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and, and will come again in glory. And I thank you that by your grace we too will be glorified with him when he returns. And we pray that you help us now as we wait for that to, to keep being changed into his image. May we show his character in all the different roles you place us in. May we honour him in our marriages, in how we relate to our parents and our children, in how we relate to, to others in the workplace. May we show your love, care, justice and faithfulness in each of these areas. And in everything we do, may we do it in the name of your Son, giving thanks to you, our Father, through him. We ask this in his name. Amen.